But this morning, I have the privilege to read from Mark. So if you have your bulletin or your Bible, uh, or I think it'll be on the screen behind me, uh, just follow along. It'll be Mark 4, 35 through 41. It says, and on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him, they took with him them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning to all of you. So this is a, uh, this passage of scripture, this story about Jesus that we come to now in the gospel of Mark is the story of a storm. And you might ask the question, why this topic? Why today? Why us? Why you and me? And in scripture, this storm represents the trials in life that we encounter because we live in a fallen world. It also represents the trials we encounter because we're followers of Christ. So as, as your pastor, as somebody who has been around a lot of you, uh, I know that this is very, uh, very timely for all of us to think about the storms and the trials that come our way. So that's the value of this. I wonder if you'd take a moment and pray with me as we begin to look at this passage. Lord, we uh, come to your word and uh, we're reminded of how Mark shared with us earlier. We, we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. And so we thank you for the the presence of your spirit with us today. We pray that you would breathe upon our hearts. We pray that you would transform us into the image of Christ. We pray that you would cause your word to come alive and open our eyes that we might see and apply these things to our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things I love about, uh, about the nation of Israel, uh, about the Middle East, is that the topography that you experience there, that is the landscape, as well as the archaeology, tell a story that supports the Bible. It's pretty amazing. So on the screen behind me, one of the things you can see is a picture of the Sea of Galilee. And I want to tell you a little bit about the topography there, because the Sea of Galilee sits about 700 feet below sea level, and just north of the Sea of Galilee is a mountain called uh, Mount Hermon, and that mountain is 10,000 feet high. And so though the Sea of Galilee, as you look at it in this picture, is very placid at the moment, uh, the weather conditions are such that sudden storms can arise because of the mixture of the cold air from the mountain coming down to the hot air in the Sea of Galilee, which, which is like a basin that's there. So I want you to have the picture of the Sea of Galilee in your mind. Also, the next picture I want to show you is a picture of what's known as the Sea of Galilee boat. 
Now, what's interesting about this boat is it was discovered in 1986. It was excavated during a time of drought, but the sediment over the, over the centuries had preserved this boat intact, and it's dated from anywhere between 50 BC and 50 AD. So it's, it's, it is uncanny how this boat uh, probably is just like the one that Peter and James and John, these fishermen would use, just like the kind of boat that when Jesus taught the four soils, when he talked about the parable of the sower, he stood out and he looked over people and he, had, he, was, he was standing in a boat and he was teaching from this boat. And, uh, and so it would have looked like this one. It's pretty, uh, pretty amazing to think that. I don't think that they think necessarily this was the one that the disciples used, but probably very much like that. So let's get into the story. And uh, we want to turn to this, back to this passage in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And we're going to look at uh, this whole idea of the storm, the storm before the, the calm. And we're going to look at three things in this passage as we think about storms, we think about the trials of life. The first thing is that the storm surprises us. The second thing is that the storm reveals Jesus to us. And the third thing is that the storm deepens our faith. So as we look at this story, as we look at this passage, I'd like you to think about that uh, and the trials that you face in your life. So the first thing is that the storm surprises us. So let's look back at verse 35 and look at what's going on here. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. So this is Jesus talking to the disciples. It says, on that day, it's referring to a very long, a very long and grueling and tiresome day of teaching and preaching. So last week we talked about the parable of the four soils, you remember that? So there were all these crowds there that were following Jesus. And so it's now the end of the day, it's becoming night, and he says, let's get in the boat and let's go over to the other side. Now where would the other side be? What would be happening there? Well, you, they're headed over to Gentile territory. In effect, they're on a mission trip. They're going to expand the preaching of the gospel beyond uh, the people in Galilee to the other side where you've got the Gentiles. So that's what Jesus is doing when he says this, get in the boat, go to the other side. Verse 36, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with them. So there they are taken off and you got this apparently this normal day, this placid sea going on and they're about to move out on these boats. But look at what happens. Look at what surprises them in the next verse. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So you've got this, um, this, this tumultuous storm that has come about. And even though the disciples are fishermen, they're used to being out on the Sea of Galilee, they panic at this moment because they are surprised at the power and the extent of this storm. And the language in this passage indicates that the waves were rolling over, were rolling over the boat at that point. And so they were afraid and they were surprised by that storm. And so one of the things I wanna share with you as you think about the storms in your life is that quite often the storms surprise us. So, uh, so there they are, the storm comes up and we too are surprised by storms. For example, anybody in here who's involved in any kind of a business 
knows what it's like to encounter an economic storm and how it affects your business plan. You can be going along and you can make your business plan and economic conditions can change. I've got a friend who's the CEO of a major corporation in this city and he talked to me about some business plans that had to be changed because of inflation, because of the war in Ukraine. And what he says to me, he says, those events were not on my bingo card. That was not what we expected to happen. It resulted in major, major changes in those biz their business, that storm. More close to home this past week, Molly and I have a very good friend who uh, less than a week ago just, just fainted, lost consciousness, fell, and broke a vertebrae in her back. And she had to be rushed to the hospital, she had to get surgery, uh, all kinds of things that have resulted from that, that medical storm that has come into their lives. And so a lot of you know what it's like to have a business storm, to have a, a medical storm, to have a storm in your family, to have a relationship storm. My guess is that those who went to student life this week, it looked like it was all fun and games on that video, but my guess is that Mark McKinney, our adult volunteers, and some of those kids encountered some storms, maybe some relationship storms. But there are things that come our way that surprise us. In the early church, uh, the, the artwork that was in the early church, the, the way this passage was depicted reflected the, the, uh, the persecution that the church went through from the Imperial Roman Empire. Because in early Christian art, they used this story where the boat represents the church and the waves represent persecution. You see, the storms that we encounter in life, some of them are because of just the changing, fallen world, and we live in uh, a, a place where relationships break down, where, where, where all kinds of things happen to us. But there are some storms in our life that happen to us because we're followers of Christ. There are things that you could avoid. You could be, there are, there are some of you that have stepped out in ministry and experienced storms, and you might tell yourself, if I weren't doing ministry, if I had not taken a faith risk, I wouldn't experience this hardship, I wouldn't experience this storm. So I think of Tyler getting up here, introducing himself, and he works with the navigators on campus, and I'm sure it's required a lot of faith for him, uh, and yet, he will encounter storms just because he's following Christ. Same thing with Sidney Owens. Things, same thing with people going on the, uh, the London mission trip. There will be storms that they will encounter, will encounter because they follow Christ. There's a great verse in uh, 1 Peter. By the way, the reason we know the story of the Gospel of Mark is probably because Peter told the story to John Mark, who was the author of this Gospel. Peter lived through this storm. He lived through this incident. And then Peter went on to become a pastor. He became a shepherd. Uh, when, when Jesus rose from the dead, he called Peter and said, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. And so in the book of 1 Peter, a pastoral letter that Peter wrote, I want you to hear these words from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, as Peter is writing to believers who are going through persecution. And listen to these words. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you.
Now, why would Peter say that? Why would he say, do not be surprised at the fiery trial? Well, it's very tempting to think that if I'm a follower of Christ, if I'm in the will of God, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna have health and wealth and nobody's gonna hate me and everything's gonna go great. And that is simply not true. That's why Peter says, says this word here, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. One more thing before we move on to the next point. A lot of commentators on this story notice distinct parallels between this, the story of this storm and the story of Jonah, the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. Now, some of you might be familiar with the story of Jonah. Jonah was, he's famous for being swallowed by a whale or a great fish. What was going on in that story was that Jonah was called by God to preach the gospel at Nineveh and he ran away from God. And so God sent a storm to him and he was asleep in the boat just as Jesus was asleep in the boat. And, but there was this storm there that, that God sent Jonah's way. And something I think that you can write down that you can remember from the story of Jonah and this story here is that when God when we encounter a storm, it's because God is up to something. When you and I encounter a storm in life, it's because God is up to something. And it's easy to forget that. It's easy to think, well, God, why are you doing this? It's easy to think, God, don't you care about me? But I want to assure you that when God sends a storm our way, like Peter said in 1 Peter 4, we just read it, this, this fiery trial which has come upon you to test you. When there is a storm, God is up to something. It is really hard to remember that because we are surprised by the storm. But there's a second thing here, and we talk about God being up to something. I want to talk about the second thing we see in this passage, and that is the, storms, the storm reveals Jesus to us. I want you to think about this. The storm reveals Jesus to us. Now, what do we learn about Jesus from this story? Well, the first thing we see is that Jesus has his, his head on a pillow in the boat, and he's sleeping through the storm. Now, why is Jesus sleeping? Well, this is such a beautiful picture of the humanity of Jesus, the incarnation that God became a real man, the humanity of Jesus we see here. Jesus is asleep because he's tired. He has had this whole day of teaching, and so he just goes, in the, you know, goes down in the boat, lays on a pillow, and he goes to sleep. And we see the humanity of Jesus here. But then we also see the disciples come along, and they say, don't you care? And they wake him up. And so Jesus stands up, and he speaks to the storm. He rebukes the storm and says, peace, be, be still. And what we learn about Jesus here, and the disciples learn it too, is the authority of Jesus and the sovereignty of Jesus and the power of Jesus over the storms in our lives. It is in our storms when we learn that God is sovereign over us, even in the storm. Now, isn't it interesting that in this passage, the disciples, one of the things they struggle with is the first thing they say to him is, don't you care that we're about to drown? And aren't we like that sometimes? You can hardly blame them because they feel like they're about to drown. Jesus is asleep. And so the words that come out of their, their mouth is, don't you care about us? You see, the disciples still needed to learn to trust not only the sovereignty of God, but the love of God. But were it not for this storm, they would not have learned these things about Jesus. These disciples, like us, 
This is a discipleship passage, and they are, are in a process of discovery and learning about Jesus. And I would venture to say to everybody in this room that if you are a follower of Christ, God's plan for you is to learn more about Jesus and to become more like Jesus. And so what the storm does, and it helps us, it helps us to do that. It's very interesting uh, to me as I observe the discipleship application of this passage, Jesus has just taught them the parable of the four soils. And he said in that parable, you remember from last week we talked about this, that the shallow soil, where, the, where the, the, what would happen is the seed would go there and then the, splant, the plant would sprout up quickly, but because it did not have roots, it would fall away, it would, it would dry up. And Jesus said that illustrates the fact that people might have an initial positive response to Jesus, but they fall away because of persecution and because of trials and when life gets hard. And so one of the things that Jesus is doing here is, is he's saying, this was the class and this is your exam. The storm is your exam. And it's the experience of the storm that is gonna reveal Jesus to them. It is the experience of the storm that is going to strengthen their faith. I wanna share with you one of the most difficult storms that I went through. It ha happens to be a ministry storm. Uh, when we first planted Lake Baldwin Church in 2006, this church took off like a space shuttle. And it was like we were on the Sea of Galilee, we were on the boat, things were going along smoothly. But in 2008, in year three of that church plant, uh, all, the, all these torpedoes began to hit our boat. And uh, without, I would love at another time to tell you what some of those torpedoes were and what a challenge it was for me. But several things happened during when, when all those torpedoes hit the boat. There were, there, was, there were external trials for sure that we were facing, but on the inside, I was going through also an emotional trial and an emotional storm. Because the reason for that was that I was just being so humbled at all the things that were happening in the church that weren't going well, uh, whether that be sometimes, sometimes my preaching, sometimes my leadership, and I was encountering the fact that I was inadequate, that I was less than ideal, and, and I wasn't able to live up to some of the expe expectations that I had for myself or that others had for me, and that was very, very humbling. You know, we read in the story that Jesus was asleep in the boat. He had his head down on the pillow, and he was able to sleep. But when I was going through my storm in 2008, I couldn't sleep at night. I would go to bed at night, and because of the emotional storm, my, my heart would be pounding inside of me, and I'd be tossing and turning, and it couldn't, I couldn't sleep. And it was so much so that Molly thought that I was gonna have a heart attack. And about partway through that year, uh, with the help of some friends, Molly and I went to a, uh, a one-week intensive in California that was led by uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Henry Cloud wrote the book, Changes at Heal. And being a part of that one-week intensive, it involves some group therapy. And I remember sitting through those therapy times, and the therapy for a week didn't cure me, it didn't fix me, didn't make me instantly like I had it all together, but it helped me to understand my story. It helped me to understand um, 
what was going on in my heart and really to diagnose what was happening there. And I would come back and that began the process of sort of putting me back together again internally. And I'm so glad I had that experience where I had a safe environment to begin to bring my uh, failure, my brokenness, my resentment out in the open and begin, begin to think about it and have it addressed. But the work continued for years after that. And one of my uh, applications of that is I, I just said here that the storm reveals Jesus to us. I realized that even as a pastor, I needed to get to know Jesus better. I realized that I was preaching the gospel and I was teaching the gospel but that I needed the gospel to penetrate more deeply in my own heart. I needed to understand the music of the gospel. I need to understand, as the disciples did, I need to understand that Jesus cared for me. I need to understand how to be secure in the gospel. I needed to understand how to communicate the gospel. So you can imagine 2008, that storm was transformational for me because it pressed me closer to Jesus. I remember Molly used to always say to me, I would sort of practice my sermons on her, and she would say to me, Mike, do you have enough Jesus in that sermon? Because Molly understood what I needed to learn and what I needed to grow in was to apply the gospel to my heart and to bring Jesus in my sermon. So that was very transformational for me to go through that. It's interesting in the book of Jonah, back to the, this, this uh, comparison we've talked about between this storm and the storm in Jonah. Like Jesus, Jonah also was asleep. And like the disciples, the people around Jonah were also panicked, again, because God was up to something. I want to give you a quote from Charles Spurgeon, though, because Jonah had a pillow. He was asleep because he was running from God. Jesus had a pillow. He was asleep because he was resting in God. And I love this quote from, uh, from Charles Spurgeon that I want to read to you, uh, maybe in your bulletin as well. The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. Do you think that in 2008, I needed to learn something about the sovereignty of God? And I still need to learn that today. I can still have those sleepless nights. I can still go through that. But it's the storm that drives me back to understand that God is sovereign over us and I can rest my head on a pillow because of the sovereignty of God. One more thing we wanna see in this passage, and that is not only that the storm surprises us, not only that the storm reveals Jesus to us, but finally, that the storm deepens our faith. So I want you to take a look back at the passage again. I want you to notice what happens here. Look at verses uh, 40 and 41 in Mark chapter 4. After, after Jesus has rebuked the sea, we see in 40 and 41, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Because remember, Jesus is talking about faith, but what he wants to do now is he wants to develop their faith. He reveals their lack of faith. Why are, you, why are you so afraid and have you no faith? One of the things God wants to do in the storms is that he wants to develop our faith. James chapter one, verses two, and, two through four, listen to these words. It says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking in nothing. Do you see the progression there? Consider it joy when you encounter trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will develop your faith. And that's something that God's doing in our lives. We can have a surface faith, but what God wants to do is deepen our faith. It was in March of 2020 that a uh, pastor friend of mine who was pastoring a church in Stuttgart, Germany, gave a sermon called Lessons from a Storm. And he gave a sermon on this passage. And it was right at the beginning of COVID. And COVID was at that time sweeping Europe. It was about ready to, to, to spread to the States. And he gave, he, he, I watched this on YouTube. It was a great sermon called Lessons from a Storm. And it alerted me, it alerted us to the fact that, that the church was about to face a storm. And over the past couple of years after that, there was a storm that hit the church, not just the storm of COVID, but other storms that came along. You know what I'm talking about. We lived through those storms. But I remember Lauren Brown saying at one point, after we'd been through COVID for, for about a year, we thought the storm was gonna last a couple weeks. It surprised us. But I believe it also, the storm revealed Jesus to us, and I think that storm revealed our faith. Lauren Brown said at one point, she said, she said, Mike, I believe that COVID is an attack on the church. But then she observed that because of the lockdown, because of the stuff they're doing, they were getting to know their neighbors, and God was just opening doors for them to be able to talk about Christ with their friends, and she began to see that God was at work through the storm. Remember we said that when there is a storm, remember that God is at work in that time. And I believe, I really believe that in my life, in your life, in all of our lives, the past couple years, we've been through about four storms as a church, and in every one of those storms, I believe that our faith was deepened. And I also believe that the reason this church was able to weather some of those storms is that our church is filled with people who have been through storms in the past, so therefore they were not shocked, they were not rocked, they were not surprised. It came along and they hunkered down and they trusted God. They trusted the sovereignty of God and the love of God in the midst of the, those storms. Now why do I share that story with you about the deepening of our faith? Lake Baldwin Church has been through storms in the past but listen to this, Lake Baldwin Church will go through storms in the future. And the question is, how will you respond to those storms? Will you trust that God is sovereign? Will you trust that God cares for you? Will, will you let him mature you and deepen your faith in the midst of those storms? I wanna share with you something that I think is pretty hopeful and pretty helpful and uh, you're gonna see on the screen a, uh, a triangle behind me. And uh, the triangle actually is something that I think you can take with you and remember that, that is about a pattern that we see in scripture so many times. So I wanna describe the pattern to you. If you look at the top of the triangle, what you'll see is the word orientation. Orientation just simply means the beginning of something, the normal way that things work. So it represents, if you will, the placid sea of Galilee, like the picture I showed at the beginning. That's orientation. But then if you go down, the, down that um, triangle on the left side, you see the word disorientation. So after 
you're in the sea for a while, a storm comes up and the storm is just rocking you around. And so that is what happens with our, our trials. We feel like we're in the midst of a, uh, a washing machine and we're just being turned around and that's disorientation. That's when we begin to experience the doubts. That's when we begin to try out, cry out to God and God brings, brings us through times of disorientation. And so some of you might be experiencing in your life right now a time of disorientation. That's because of the storm. Those, those are the effects of the storm that you feel. But as you come through that, God's plan is us to move to what we might call a new orientation, a new orientation where we've come through that storm and our faith has been deepened and we know Jesus better and we're maturing in our faith. By the way, this diagram is not original with me. It comes from a gentleman by the name of Walter Brueggemann. And, but I think it's so practical. It's been so helpful to me over the years. For example, you all know that in a marriage, when people are first married, married, they go through a honeymoon. That is orientation. But then they go through a crisis in their marriage and they experience disorientation. There is anger. There is fighting. There is division because all these things come to the surface. But once they make it through that, if they push through, they come out to a new orientation where love is deepened, where romance is deepened in the marriage. Same thing is true when you take a new job. Have you ever gone through this experience? You, you get a job. And so you're there, it's orientation. You got these people are cool. I love this job, best job I've ever had. It's amazing. But then you start to encounter some things that go wrong professionally in the job and you go through a time of disorientation and it's during that time that you're tempted to quit. You're tempted to give up. But there's a trial that's come along and you go through disorientation and then you make it to the other side and the new orientation. There's one more example of how this happens and we, that all of us experience this. And I think this is incredibly helpful for all of you as we think about your engagement with the church for the rest of your life. A lot of times when you come into a church, there's a, there's a honeymoon period where you think this church has amazing community, amazing music, it's got amazing programs. I love this church, I feel welcome, amazing people. But then you, you actually go through some disorientation where you see some division. You see some people that fall short of your expectations. You have a bad week at church, whatever it might be. And so th you go through disorientation. That's when you're tempted to give up and to quit. But then as you make it through that, God brings you out to a new orientation. And the new orientation is a healthy way to approach church because you're not doing it through rose-colored glasses where everything is all good. You're also not doing it where you see everything is all bad, but you are realistic. You move into a period of being realistic about your church involvement. Last thing I'll say about this triangle diagram, if you think about it, is this is the pattern of, this is the pattern of Christ. When Jesus walked the earth, he was in that period of orientation and he was showing his authority, but then Jesus went down to the cross and he went through disorientation. But then the new orientation was the resurrection of Christ. And so you, you'll we'll see this in the Gospel of Mark that the Christian life follows the pattern of Jesus through death and on to resurrection. That's the way the Christian life works. I want to close with uh, one final thought that will really set us up for communion in just a moment. I've taught this comparison to the story of Jonah is something that a lot of scholars have are, talk about. Tim Keller adds this point to this story. The story of Jonah, when Jonah wakes up, 
Jonah says to the guys on the boat, this storm will stop if you throw me into the sea. And so Jonah is thrown into the sea and the storm stops for the people on the boat. In the story of Jesus in Mark chapter four, instead Jesus is like God, he actually stills the storm. But then what happens is that when Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus experiences, an in a way he's being thrown off the boat like Jonah and he experiences the storm of the wrath and the judgment of God in our place so that we can, we can live. And my friends, that is the gospel. And not only when you ask that question, Lord, why do you not care for us as the disciples did, you can look to the cross and remember that Jesus cares for you. And that's why we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Would you pray with me? Lord, what a story that Mark has given us that has withstood the test of time over the centuries. And I wanna take a moment right now, Lord, because I'm aware that as we talk about this topic, it's not a topic that is uh, superficial or trite to many in our congregation. We know that there are people in this room right now who need your strength and your care during a storm in their lives. And we pray that you would, would nourish them during this time and comfort them and strengthen them. For all of us, Lord, we pray that you would deepen our faith as we walk with you. And we pray these prayers in Jesus' name, amen.